Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Thursday, November 7th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins, with a summary of election news. Today, Kentucky's governor requests a re-canvas, and I'll explain what that is, the Trump impeachment stuff in three minutes or less, the DNC pulls out of UCLA for the December debate, a new poll gives two candidates spots in upcoming DNC debates, Sanders is about to begin massive TV advertising, Yang has begun TV advertising focused on Iowa, Warren gets a key endorsement, Trump begins selling Christmas merchandise, and Castro goes on The Daily Show. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. As I mentioned yesterday, Kentucky Governor Matt Bevin narrowly lost his re-election bid to Andy Bashir. That margin was more than 5,000 votes, but that's less than half of 1% of all the votes cast. Bevin has not conceded yet, and that means most media outlets are holding off on calling the race, even though the numbers appear to have it as a win for Bashir. So there are just a few options open to Bevin in Kentucky, which does not have a mandatory recount law for close elections. Bevin does have the option of calling for a re-canvas, so he has now done that. A re-canvas is a far simpler process than a full recount, and is more like totaling up the math again, rather than going back and actually reviewing any actual ballots. In Kentucky history, a re-canvas has never changed the outcome of an election, though in theory it could. Mistakes can be made, and there have been dozens of re-canvases in Kentucky over the years. Reading from a CNN story by Adam Levy, quote, All 120 counties in Kentucky are required to submit their certified vote forms by Friday. Those certified results will be re-canvassed next week. A re-canvass is a reprint of the receipts from voting machines to check for reporting or clerical errors. After ballots are scanned, the machine tabulates those votes and prints out a receipt with the total. During a re-canvas, those receipts will be reprinted and checked again to make sure they were reported properly. It's not uncommon for some clerical errors to occur during the initial vote tabulation. All 120 counties would then fill out and submit the same certification forms again with the re-canvas results. End quote. So that's the plan. If there are any changes based on the re-canvas, the question is really, are they enough to change more than 5,000 votes? After the re-canvas, assuming the outcome doesn't change enough to give the election to Bevin, Kentucky's Board of Elections will certify the Bashir result by November 25th. After that, in theory, Bevin could contest that result, which would be a whole other process involving the state legislature, and we'll cross that bridge if we get to it. It's also worth noting that Bevin has claimed that his election received, quote, reports of irregularities, end quote, on election night. But according to CNN, Bevin has offered no evidence backing up that claim. And now, the impeachment news in three minutes or less. Late yesterday, House lawyers withdrew a subpoena that would have compelled testimony from Charles Kupperman. He's a national security official and one of many White House folks who have taken a legal strategy of saying they can't comply with both the White House's orders not to testify and Congress's orders to testify. So to avoid drawing out the impeachment inquiry longer, the House just kind of dropped this one. Instead, they will look to a similar case in which White House counsel Don McGahn is already going through the same motions in court. 
The idea there is basically whatever the conclusion of the McGann case is should inform the Copperman case and any other cases that may crop up. Okay, today is notable because at least one person showed up. Jennifer Williams, an aide to Vice President Mike Pence, appeared for her deposition. We don't yet know what happened in that testimony, but that should be coming up either through leaks or a transcript at some point. And, as expected, former White House National Security Advisor John Bolton did not appear. Now, starting on Wednesday next week, we will see the first public televised hearings in the impeachment inquiry. There are currently three scheduled appearances, though there could be more. Meanwhile, news broke that Attorney General Bill Barr, whom you may remember as the guy who summarized the Mueller report, refused a very particular request from the president related to this Ukraine matter. According to a Washington Post report, Barr was asked by the president to hold a news conference declaring that President Trump had not broken any laws during that one phone call we keep talking about. Barr declined. And to close out this segment, I'm going to read from the transcript of Bill Taylor's testimony. Taylor is our top diplomat in Ukraine, and in this reading, he is questioned by Adam Schiff, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee and leader of the impeachment inquiry. I'm just going to read for a moment here, and it's a slightly long quote. Schiff. And when you say that, this was the first time I heard that the security assistance, not just the White House meeting, was conditioned on the investigation. When you talk about conditioned, did that mean that if they didn't do this, the investigations, they weren't going to get that, the meeting and the military assistance? Taylor. That was my clear understanding. Security assistance money would not come until the president of Ukraine committed to pursue the investigation. Schiff. So, if they don't do this, they are not going to get that, was your understanding. Taylor. Yes, sir. Schiff. Are you aware that quid pro quo literally means this for that? Taylor. I am. End quote. Today I want to talk to you about Mack Weldon. They make premium men's clothing using fantastic fabrics. As I told you earlier this week, they even make underwear and shirts out of a special fabric that includes silver. That means it is naturally antimicrobial, and that means it doesn't smell. I've been wearing a full Mack Weldon outfit, underwear, sweatpants, t-shirt, to clean out my basement. Now folks, I live in a house that's 100 years old. The basement is not optimal. I need something that's comfortable, doesn't get in the way, and is easy to wash. So I want to highlight something that points to the quality you can expect from Mack Weldon. They print super simple washing and drying instructions right on the inside of everything they make. I want instructions that use full sentences, not just a row of symbols and numbers. Mack Weldon, full sentences. I've run these clothes through the washer and dryer a lot over the past few weeks, giving them a stress test so I can tell you how they hold up. Short answer, good as new. High quality, reliable clothes that hold up when you wear them and when you wash them. I want you to try this out for yourself. Try the silver underwear. If you're not happy with your first pair of underwear, you can keep it and they'll send you a refund. No questions asked. Now, for 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code ELECTION. Once more, that's MacWeldon.com, promo code ELECTION for 20% off your first order. My thanks to MacWeldon for sponsoring today's election ride home. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. 
Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Here's a quick one. The DNC has decided not to hold its December debate at UCLA as planned. This is because there's an ongoing labor dispute there involving the union that represents workers at the university. In a statement emailed to press, DNC senior advisor Mary Beth Cahill wrote, quote, In response to concerns raised by the local organized labor community in Los Angeles, we have asked our media partners to seek an alternative site for the December debate, end quote. That new location has not yet been determined, but we can be pretty sure it's none of the University of California campuses, all of which are affected by the dispute. Next up, some good news for two candidates who have been right on the bubble of getting into upcoming DNC debates. A new poll from Quinnipiac University of Iowa caucus goers gave two important results. By the way, the margin of error was 4.5%, but it technically doesn't matter here because you just need a raw number to get to the debate. All right, Klobuchar got 5% and Gabbard got 3%. So what does that mean? Well, it puts Gabbard in the November debate, which is just in time since she had one more week until the polling deadline. It also puts Klobuchar in the December debate. So, what that means for November is that right now we have 10 candidates. And here I thought we were done with large stages, but no, 10 candidates on stage in November. None of the other seven major candidates are even close, so I'm going to give you the probably definitive list of November debate participants. Here we go in alphabetical order, since we don't have an official podium order yet. Biden, Booker, Buttigieg, Gabbard, Harris, Klobuchar, Sanders, Steyer, Warren, and Yang. And for December, there is still a good chunk of time for candidates to qualify. Right now, here is the qualified list of six. Biden, Buttigieg, Harris, Klobuchar, Sanders, and Warren. The candidates who have one or more qualifying polls for December are Gabbard, Steyer, and Yang. They all need some more polls but they all have more than a month to get them. Given how this has worked out so far, I would no longer be surprised to see a nine-person stage in December. So get ready for that possibility. Next up, a story about TV ads. Senator Bernie Sanders is about to start a $30 million TV ad buy. Now, that is spread across now through early March, so it's not like he's just shelling it all out at once on a Super Bowl ad or something. But it does point to the major strength of Sanders in both fundraising and cash on hand. Reminder, Sanders currently has more than $30 million in cash in his campaign account, and that's just going to increase as he continues to raise money. Reading from a New York Times article by Reed Epstein and Sidney Ember, quote, Mr. Sanders, who began his 2016 campaign relatively unknown outside of Vermont, spent more money on TV ads during that primary contest than any other candidate in either the Democratic or Republican race. 
There were states where we would move 10 points, 20 points in a two-week period, Sanders advisor Jeff Weaver said in an interview Wednesday, referring to Mr. Sanders' standing in public opinion polls. You would add TV and it would spike almost straight up. Because Mr. Sanders already has near-universal name recognition among Democrats, his campaign's task in this primary is less about introducing him to voters than it is reminding those who backed him four years ago why they supported him. End quote. While we're on the topic of TV ads, Andrew Yang has also begun spending on TV for the first time in Iowa. According to Ad Analytics, Yang has reserved over $630,000 in TV ad time in Iowa, specifically between today and November 14th. So that's a healthy dose of spending leading up to the debate the following week. His first TV ad is already up on YouTube, and there's a link to that in the show notes. Now, to put the size of this ad buy in context, as I reported earlier this week, Julian Castro just began a $50,000 ad buy in Iowa. So $50,000 versus $630,000. The Yang buy is an order of magnitude larger. And then that Sanders buy at $30 million, granted over a longer period, is clearly another order of magnitude larger as well. Well, the final member of the squad has spoken. After Senator Bernie Sanders got endorsements from three members of the group of first-term congresswomen, the fourth member, Representative Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, endorsed Senator Elizabeth Warren. They are from the same state, they know each other well, and they have some shared political history. Reading from a New York Times article by Ested Herndon, quote, Ms. Presley was a delegate for Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election and has close relationships with the party's traditional power brokers. She is also considered a prospective candidate for Ms. Warren's Senate seat should Ms. Warren win the White House. Some in Massachusetts have speculated that Ms. Presley could play the role of television surrogate for Ms. Warren, serving as a progressive ally who would implicitly counteract perceptions of her campaign as geared toward white elites. End quote. In her endorsement video posted to Twitter, Presley gave several reasons for endorsing Warren, but the most pointed was a statement about power. Quote, You've all heard about the senator's plans, but here's the thing. The plans are about power. Who has it, who refuses to let it go, and who deserves more of it? For Elizabeth and me, power belongs in the hands of the people. End quote. And here's a quick item. President Trump's campaign has released his lineup of Christmas campaign merchandise. I dropped by the campaign's online store today, and there are a few new standout products. One is a wooden truck, like an 18-wheeler, with the Trump Pence logo on it. That's 35 bucks. Then you've got a Trump Pence wrapping paper set for 30 bucks. And don't forget the Keep America Great collectible hat ornament for hanging on the tree. That one is $60, though apparently it's made of brass, so I guess it should last a while. All of those items are made in the USA. Last night, Julian Castro went on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Now, among other issues, he discussed his experience with people of color and essentially escalated an ongoing beef with Mayor Pete Buttigieg. 
Let me play you a clip from that appearance. Noah speaks first. Listen in. Mayor Pete Buttigieg made some news when he said he thinks that the Democratic race is now a two-horse race. He said it's between him and Elizabeth Warren. Many were like, wow, you've just written off Biden, you've written off everybody else. And he said, this is what I'm doing. Was it strange for you uh, having Buttigieg say that, especially considering that you are a mayor of a much bigger town? And you guys had a little little spat back and forth where he said, you said he doesn't have a great relationship with black voters. You know, you, you pointed to the incidents that have occurred in South Bend. He then said to you, well, why not come out to my neck of the woods and I'll show you around. Have you taken him up on that? Uh, no, and well, and uh, what, do you, what do you think you have th- that, is, that differs to him with regards to the experience of being a mayor? Uh, well, I actually have a good track record with black voters and with folks that I worked with in San Antonio, uh, which I think is different. And my point was that we're going to need a nominee that can resonate in the African-American community. Black women have been those powering our victories everywhere from Alabama to, you know, the 2018 wins. And so what I said was that it's risky to have a candidate at the top of the ticket that cannot speak to, in a convincing way, those different communities. Uh And, you know, I think the track record is there on his end. Uh, In San Antonio, my experience was the exact opposite of that. In fact, I got appointed to the Obama administration as housing secretary largely because of the work that we did on the east side of San Antonio, which traditionally was the African-American part of town. Right. And so I just think the track records are different. Uh, You know, I'm sure that there's some things that he's done that are good things, and I have a lot of respect for Mayor Buttigieg, but I do think that our experience level is different. You know, I don't need to go see uh, South Bend. I saw a hundred different cities when I was HUD secretary. And I I was mayor of a a city that's 14 times larger than South Bend. In fact, we could almost fit, we could almost fit South Bend in our Alamo Dome in San Antonio. (laughs) So I guess it's your move, Mayor Buttigieg. In the tweet where Castro highlighted that clip, he wrote, quote, Our nominee must be able to resonate with black and Latino voters. If we're going to beat Trump, we need people from all communities. End quote. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Well, last night I finished reading my most recent sci-fi book. I've been reading everything by Xi Jin Liu. Apologies if I'm pronouncing that a little bit wrong. But he is a Chinese sci-fi author, and only a handful of his books have been translated into English. And they are, as they say, unputdownable. Well, now I have read all of them, so I must put them down. If you're looking for a fascinating and kind of long sci-fi read, check out The Three-Body Problem. I think I first heard about this book from one of Obama's reading lists. It really lives up to the hype, and if you like it, it is the first book in an equally good trilogy of long sci-fi books. So a little winter reading never hurt anybody, right? As always, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to y'all tomorrow.